Welcome to Spice Bags, the podcast about Irish food and food culture from a global perspective. Uh, who am I here with? Hi, I'm Blanca. I'm a Spanish cooking teacher and food researcher. I'm May. I'm a food writer. Hi, I'm Julia. I'm the girl in your drama class who takes my birth control pill where you can see it. (laughs) (laughs) We decided every week I'm going to be a different kind of idiot. Um, So today we have a really exciting interview with J.P. McMahon. And does one of you want to explain a little bit who he is? Um, J.P. is, I mean, I used to sort of... You know, I used to call him. He's uh, he has this restaurant, and you he basically he references that a couple times in the interview, and I have no idea what he's saying. How do you, he? It's, it's a restaurant called Anier. Anier, A N I A R. Okay. Um, he also had a restaurant called Kava. I don't mm. know if Kava's still around. Um, it, so he's a Galway-based chef. Um, I think he uses a lot of um principles. Instant, like a lot of Scandi, Scandinavian chefing principles in that like he wants to uh, cook locally and inventively. And so. Right. So he's then, like he's like the people have referred to him. He probably hates this as the Ferrana Dree of Ireland or the or the, or or the, the Rene Redzepi. Redzepi yeah, of he's Ireland. like the Irish Redzepi. Yeah. I, the Irish Redzepi. Um, and so he's also got this f- food on the edge called Food on the Edge in Galway. It's more a conference. It's, it's more like a conference. conference yeah. yeah. Oh, OK. Um but I suppose that established his reputation as somebody who's kind of trying to do something intellectual with with uh, Irish food and reach an international audience with it. Yes. He's um, probably the most international, besides Darina Allen, I would say he's the most international of all the Irish sort of chefs and food personalities. Awesome. And so he wrote this book, which is out with Fida now, called The Irish Cookbook. And in case you had any doubt. Yeah, in case you had any <laughs> doubt about its status as the most definitive. Um, it's not a Irish cookbook. <laughs> I wrote a book called One of the Irish Cookbooks. I hope you like it. Um, and he's... 500 recipes. 500 yeah, recipes. It's a recipes. massively a of, like... art-directed, beautiful. It's a very ambitious book. So he's calling in to talk about it right now. JP? Yes. Hi, it's May. Um, and good. good. Um, and thank you for calling in and agreeing to talk to us. No uh, worries. Can I introduce you to uh, my co hosts? This is Julia yeah. Langbine. Hello. And Blanca Valencia. Hola. Um, hey, how are you? And I have to apologize in advance. We also have my seven week old baby in the studio <laughs> who's attached That's- to me. That's why I bring my kids nearly everywhere I have to go as well, so that's absolutely fine. Perfect. So if you hear someone squealing, it's not feedback to your... I wouldn't even flinch now. Good. Um, Cool. So we wanted to just, yeah, talk a little bit about your book. We wanted to do an episode, for a long time we wanted to do an episode about Irish cookbooks, and when we saw that yours had come out... The Irish Cookbook, <laughs> the, the definitive Irish Cookbook, which is this massive, beautiful book from Fidon. Uh, we knew we had to get you had to get you to call in. Um, so yeah, so w- w- I guess I, w- I want I have, to. I've, I've got loads of questions. Yeah, we um, do. And I guess maybe I might kick it off. Um, yeah. uh, actually, the first thing was, what were your greatest influences um, before you were write, you know, when you were writing this cookbook? Yeah, like I'm suppose I'm, I'm I'm a weird one because I'm very I'm very literary. Uh, like I I I self taught as a chef and I studied English and art history in in college. Um, so a lot of my learning has has been done through cookbooks. Um, so 
um, I mean, particularly in the realm of, say, cookbooks in the last 10 or 15 years that I that I can say influenced me, like certainly cookbooks like uh, many, many Spanish cookbooks like Claudio Rohn's or um, Jose Andreas or uh, Albert Adri or just there was so so many Spanish ones. But on the on the I suppose on the on the on the looking at a terroir driven food, probably like the likes of Rennie Rossepi and Magnus Nielsen, their the Fabian cookbook, the Noma cookbook, uh, Christian Puglisi, his his cookbook as well. And those ones have have influenced me um, a lot in terms of in terms of thinking. And on the one hand, the Spanish ones have, have made me think about how food is outside Ireland. And the, I think the Nordic ones have have made me think about how we can produce a food from stuff that's just in Ireland. And and that's they're the kind of two poles of the of the of the of of the of the cookbook, and they're probably the two poles of my, of my cooking as well. You you mentioned a bunch of cookbooks that are that have been written by women over the years. These sort of domestic Irish cookery books, Cooking Woman, and these come up over and over again. What where do those fit in your in your repertoire? Yeah. Oh well, the, the, the book is dedicated. Unfortunately, not, the the dedication was put at the back, um, which is a pity because the book is dedicated to all of those. Um, uh, those, I suppose, uh, women writers like um, Florence Irwin and Theodore Fitzgibbon and Maura Laverty, Monica Sheridan, and what well, they've given—they they have coloured my my influence of uh, of Irish food and um, and expanded the the my understanding of uh, of what Irish food is and and was and and how, and how much it's I suppose how it is difficult to um, to define. Like, but then the, the likes of Doreena Allen and. Uh, her books as well, and uh, Prani Radican, who's a great um, seaweed expert. She, um, uh, her, her, uh, her own cookbooks on, on seaweed is definitely. Uh, I was actually just reading her, that the other day. Um, yeah, Prani is a great friend, and she's just uh, been championing seaweed, and I love seaweed as well. And it was one of the things that annoyed me a lot about a lot of past Irish cookbooks is that seaweed had um, had such a, a minor place. And even though I had wanted to put way more seaweed into the book, and seaweed is a, is a difficult thing to acquire sometimes so there was that fight on we're conscious as, a, as an international publisher to try and make the book as accessible as possible and so there probably wasn't as much seaweed as, as I wanted to. The thing that Prani introduced me to was the dulse sandwich when you fry yeah. dulse in butter and put, put it between two slices of bread and for me that was like one of the most sort of simple and authentic Irish Food like foods that I'd eaten when I first moved here. Oh, brilliant! JP, I have a question. Uh, I'm sure you know Peruvian chef Gaston Acurio. The yes, per- I yeah. do. Um, and I wanted to ask you. I the more I know Ireland, the more I see Ireland as a tourism destination for food and gastronomy. And he did such a great job in Peru. Do you think you know? I think your book is obviously going to get a lot of attention for Ireland internationally, we were saying probably in America, places like Spain, where there's a lot of people who live in Ireland and come to, to Ireland. What do you think about gastronomy and tourism in Ireland? Do you see a big, bright future for that? Um, like I suppose I do and I don't. I mean, the, 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 I suppose that the, positive, the positivist in me thinks that we have... We, we, I know we have amazing produce, and I know we have a lot of tourism, um, and we have been like gastronomic tourism. 
we have been working on gastronomic tourism maybe for for 15 or 20 years in Ireland and um, I think that we we still have a long way to go um, yeah, particularly particularly in the among the masses I mean it's certainly in small places in in uh, in, in, in in various places but it's not it's certainly not everywhere um, like when you go to mass tourist sites I think the food is still very very poor and they're the ones that are getting the most people like if you the Cliffs of Moher is 1.4 million people um, and I, I think that our food offering at places like that could be far more terroir driven so sometimes when I'm I suppose when I'm when I'm thinking when I'm down about it I think sometimes food is the first thing to be hit in a recession and like sometimes we're at the whim of that and if something was to happen on the global market then like at the moment with the with the kind of fear about the coronavirus like that all that has to happen is less people have to come and then we're we're in trouble and so it's i think that we should really build food for ourselves and for for the international community but i think it's important to have both because i think as always in the past and particularly being in galway i found that Galway always positioned itself as a, as a tourist destination. And it wasn't until maybe the, in the last 20 years in terms of food that restaurants started to open for people in Galway as well as tourists. And I think now there's, there's a better balance. But, I mean, it could go either way. And I think it's the same when we think about good food. I mean, we've never had such access to great ingredients, but at the same time, you've more and more people eating processed food. And it's hard to know what way it's going to go. Um, I actually had a question back to sort of when you were talking about um, how you dedicated uh, the book to all these women writers. Um, did you come across any male cookery right like cookery writers? Because when I was going through your book, I was like, oh, this is all like it seems to be a very female tradition, unlike in France or in England or in the States where you do actually have, you know, men cookery writers. Like, did um, did you come across any Men. Yeah, there's a few. I mean, Jerry Galvin. A lot of them were professional more like, chefs. And, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought they they so, seem more like more history when when you're quoting them. But yeah, no. But they're like most of them. Uh, most of say the cookbooks of the 20th century in Ireland are written predominantly by by, yeah. by women. I mean, you have uh, restaurant cookbooks um, yeah. that are written by professional chefs, which are written by men. But I suppose I was trying to strike a balance, and of course, I do, I do, I do quote um, or re- make reference to like the likes of Jerry Galvin or Ross Lewis and uh, different uh, Irish chefs. Um, but um, I was trying to strike a balance between uh, the domestic and the professional, and and one of them. Um, um, I suppose one of the methods of, of recipe selection that, that, that we went for was that all the recipes had to be able to be made in a domestic space. That was one of the cutoffs. And so while I brought a lot of influence from the, the restaurant and what we've done in an ear over the last 10 years, it, the determining factor was, can someone make this at home? And so I wanted the book to be as, as, as accessible. I, I didn't want a cookbook where someone pick it up and go, I can't get those ingredients. And, and even with the ingredients people can't get, um, I did put a little uh, note to the reader saying, look, if you can't find ingredients, just use something else. I mean, the, the book is a guide and it's supposed to get people to celebrate Irish food, not to get kind of stressed about it. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to ask you about that. So reading your introduction and little places all along the book, there's this attempt, I think, to to trace Irish history to not not just to pass the Industrial Revolution and pass the English here and then even the Normans. You go back to, you know, Mesolithic people, 4000 BC and Bronze Age, 
you know, cookery and the this kind of there's an attempt to redress and overemphasis on the past 300 years of history. Um, and 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 I think that's part of a larger trend, like Noah, you know, Yuval Hariri's *Sapiens* or Tim Flannery's book, which just came out. Yeah. Europe, the first hundred million years, which they they both have these kinds of almost nostalgic views uh, or pictures of of a pre-cultural man and his relationship to the environment. And this is, a, I think, it's like it's it's not a bad thing to say that there's a kind of romanticism there of of a prehistorical relationship to food and culture and land and sea um and and it's beautiful it makes for beautiful reading and i guess that's my question is how would you encourage people to actually cook more like bronze age man or where you know where is the connection to the kitchen and is it just in trying to use wild you know herbs here and there or is there something more broad or profound um, I think definitely trying to reconnect, and I, I think this this kind of romanticization of of, of Mesolithic or the Bronze Age period is probably because we are in a an environmental or an ecological crisis where we have separated ourselves from the our our environment, uh, and now we're feeling the effects of it, and so trying to get back to a a more primitive way, and of course. I, it's not that I, I think that 10,000 years ago everyone was having a great time, like they certainly weren't. But I do think there's a lot we can learn um, from the the past and in ways in which, say, for example, 10,000 years ago you had like no cows, no pigs, no sheep um, in Ireland and no deer even. And you had like, say, fish, shellfish, you had a load of wild herbs. You had seaweed and you had, um, say, some wild duck and woodcock and that. And these are all from archaeological um, yeah. remains. And so trying to build up um, some type of larder from that, I think is quite exciting. And it kind of shows us that the things that we have done over the last 10 years that we have thought we are so contemporary really is what we're doing is just trying to reflect the, the way things were before we were we able to we were able to import everything from pigs which came from outside Ireland originally um, and cattle and then all the way up to to the avocado and to spices and and everything else and yeah. so it's i think i think we're trying to get a little bit more tuned in to what's surrounding us i mean definitely foraging i think is a good thing uh, learning about seaweed uh, possibly looking at at uh, different heritage varieties of whether it's vegetables or, or cattle, um, and I think I think just an engagement. I, I think it's hard in our daily lives to to kind of to to get smoke back things to on hay. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think those things and the smells and I, I think I, I say it in the book. I think like when you cook a wild duck. I mean, maybe like many people don't think about it if if they do cook a wild duck. And don't, and don't get me wrong, I didn't grow up cooking wild ducks. Like I mean, I'm not some sort of like primitive uh, child. I grew up eating like uh, Finder's crispy pancakes and drinking Seven Up, so which also makes it into your book. Like a, you know, some of those comfort foods. Yeah, and so, but I just I wanted to say to the reader, like when you cook a wild duck in Ireland, you, you're 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 part of a tradition that is ten thousand years old. Yeah, Whether it, you just cook that on a little barbecue or you cook it in your oven or you cook it on hay or whatever you do, 
that it's just, that's part of a tradition. And often when we think about food traditions, we're, we're really myopic and we think about the last two or 300 years. We think about French classical cooking. We think about British cooking. We think about Spanish cooking. Uh, and Irish cooking doesn't play a large part in that because we had a massive famine and we had colonization. And, and that's one of the reasons why when I wrote the introduction, I wanted the shortest part of the introduction to be the last 500 years. Right, yeah. Because I said, why do, why do we put such emphasis on if, if, if you span it out to say we're writing about 10,000 years, most introductions will cover the last period extensively and do, and even history books do it still. You pick up a history on Irish food, you have a couple of random pages on uh, Stone Age and, and uh, Bronze Age, and then the entire 19th and 20th century will probably take up the vast majority of the book. But also, I mean, and don't take this the wrong way, but I think that, you know, um, because in certain ways, uh, the way I perceive it as Irish recipes is you're kind of thin on the ground, so it helps to maybe reach for 10,000 years, you know, like Bronze Age, Stone Age. I mean, if you're going to pick up like a compendium of Chinese cooking or a compendium of Spanish yeah. cooking, like, you know, most people don't have, you don't, you know, don't have to reach 10,000 years to get 500 recipes. Does Although that make sense? Blanca was saying, um, Blanca used to work at a book, at a store in London called Books for Cooks. Yeah, and you were saying Notting that Hill. the Irish section of the cookbooks store was bigger than... The Spanish section. This is back in the 2000s, early 2000s. That actually there's always been yeah. a kind of literary edge to culinary culture in Ireland. And, and even even when, when, when Fidon, um like the book I submitted to Fidon initially, the, the, the draft, was very, very different. It was a much more artistically orientated book on, on new Irish cooking. And they said, well, if you want to do... Uh, a compendium, uh, and, and initially I was kind of a bit hesitant because I, there are so many books on Irish food, and I, I, I said to them, the world does not need another Irish food cookbook. There are enough of them. Um, but I think what, what the world didn't have is possibly an outward-looking Irish food cookbook. I think a lot, we've, we've written so many different cookbooks um, in the last 50 or 70 years, and a lot of them have been, I mean, for ourselves. Um, to hmm. explain to our to to ourselves, and not really kind of trying to pitch it to an international audience. And Doreen is probably the only one that I can think off the top of my head who said who who, who sells internationally. But well, most Coleman Irish Andrews. Cookbooks. There was, I mean, he's yeah. not Irish, but Coleman Andrews' um, book. I remember when that came out, and that was huge, um, and really yeah, brought people's attention uh, to Irish cooking. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, no, I, it's this I, idea of an outward. An outward yeah, and even the fact, even the I think Coleman's from New York, isn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The fact that even like, and I have Coleman's book is, a, is an amazing book, but at the same time, Coleman's book is written by someone who's not from Ireland yeah. and who's trying to pitch Ireland. And so I, I don't know why that was. And even Coleman's book is really interesting because it does. It, it's probably one of the best ones at showcasing Ireland internationally because he's not from Ireland. Mm -hmm. and, he, yep. and he realizes, God, you have all this great stuff. And I, and I didn't, I think my uh, kind of waking up around Irish food was very much from traveling to the likes of uh, North or South America, to Europe, to Australia, and seeing different products and going, God, we have really good products in Ireland and these are better, you know? And, and why, aren't we, why aren't we singing from the rooftops about these products? And why aren't we showing our recipes and showcasing what we do with them? Um, because uh, that's, I think that's all that uh, that's what we've been missing. You know, it's really the marketing of of, uh, of Irish food that that has been missing. I think because at the end of the day, the Irish are very kind of humble and understated, and they they they're they're not like the Spanish or Italians or French who will literally scream and shout and say, "Yeah, this is we have this. It's the best." 
I wonder if there's a single recipe in here that you might choose to like illustrate, you know, what's illustrate what your project is about or what this book is trying to do. And also actually just to continue from Julia's initial question was um uh have that recipe also I was curious to see like what recipe did you start with like when you started this book like what was the first like what was the first recipe you wrote and why so I'd probably have to get yeah I'd have to give you two because there's there's two aspects of, of Irish food and the one is again the, the the primacy of the product the inward looking and the second one is the 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 outward looking and so probably the the first recipe i can't remember the very first recipe i wrote but it was probably shellfish uh it, if it wasn't shellfish it was uh it was it was a uh, wild game but like uh, the oyster with seaweed um uh, oysters and seaweed which for me are kind of archetypal irish foods and uh, they're not they're not uh, stereotypical they're probably uh, not to everyone's um the, the forefront of everyone's mind when they think about Irish food, but there are two products that that have been here ten thousand years and have been here a very long time. Yeah, you have that and section of the book, the sidebar, where you say, "Imagine uh, someone thousands of years ago sitting around an open fire, opening shellfish and seasoning it with yeah. dulse, and it's <laughs> that it's you know you're invoking this age old tradition as actually incredibly modern as something you'd eat at Noma or whatever." hundred percent. That's what we serve in here, and that's what we serve in here as a kind of image of contemporary Irish food, and that's why I'm so fascinated with that, um, uh, with that that period. And so, probably something around oysters and seaweed would be like that was the beginnings of the book about like what is Irishness and food. And and the second the second ask part would be like saying like something like the duck with juniper and orange, because again, oranges do not grow in Ireland. Um, they uh, they are imported product, but one of the things that I that I um, uh, that I struggled with writing the book was how do I bring spices into this mix? We don't use any spices in an ear. We don't use any pepper or uh, anything like at all, um, like vanilla or uh, lemons or limes. All these all these foreign foods. But my, my mistake was um, was the a lot of these foods have been in Ireland a thousand years, which is longer than some cultures uh, that who have existed and how was I to bring how was I to say that they're not part of the story of Irish food irrespective of where they come from and um, I think I, I I came to a better understanding that that the many many things like cinnamon has been in, in Ireland probably since the Anglo-Normans so probably a thousand years minimum maybe the Vikings brought it which is another three or two or three hundred years previous maybe wine and olive oil were brought by the Vikings as well and so a lot of these things that we think as as external are actually part of the narrative of Irish food, and I have kind of reconciled my, my differences with uh, with spices, and I think we have to accept them. I mean, I still don't use them in an ear, and I'm still kind of thinking about how would I how would I use them in a in an intelligent way. But I think um, I think that we have to say that they're part of our story, and even the fact that most grandmothers, most people's grandmothers' carrot cake will have uh, will have nutmeg or allspice or mace. And the fact that a lot of these came from one island in the in the Asian in the in the in the Australasian Ocean for in the 19th century, and that's the only place they could come from. And the fact that they came to Ireland, I think, is a, is a, is a fascinating thing. Yeah, you don't want to erase that part of Ireland's, your history. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, by denying that, and it's, it's one and it's one we've morning. struggled with. And mm. I think every cook, I think cook, some cookbooks struggle with seaweed because they say, well, it's not really Irish because we don't have a massively mapped written tradition of eating it. And then some people struggle with spices, saying, well, they're not from here. And I think that these two sides of Irish food have kind of been fighting with each other. 
Um, and, and the book was trying to reconcile um, these things because what they do come from a place of power and a place of, I mean, stuff that was written about um, often was written by, about by people who, who didn't, who, I suppose, were not native to here originally, but then they became native. Yeah, and that's I also, that's just a classical, like, historical quandary is that history isn't just what makes it into the documents, you know? There's a ton of history that just isn't written. And it's the idea that seaweed's always been a huge part of Irish culinary culture, but nobody ever documented it, um, or it was inadequately documented, is totally credible, you know? But then also, oh, hundred percent, and uh, and as they say, the 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 um, the evidence of uh, um, it's uh, the, it's the yeah, the absence of evidence doesn't mean the uh, evidence of, of absence, and so they they there we that's why I I do put a disclaimer in saying that it is not it's not a history book, um, it's because my imagination is there and it, it's there to push people on, and I didn't want to be kind of to restrict myself from written recipes because the first, the oldest written recipe we have in Ireland is 1688 and like yeah. that's like 400 years ago and, I, and if I was only going to do that, if it was a historical text, then I would really struggle and you'd have 400 years but I mean many, many other countries will, will would struggle as well and I think it's, I think it's just part of, of trying to reassess, um, reassess the food in in relation to to nationalism as well, you know. Yeah, no, I think this kind of prehistoric imaginary that you create is, and I mean, I hope that's not offensive to call it that because, like you said, you do have to use your imagination, no, no. right? But it, this that's like, it, yeah, absolutely. this like prehistoric imaginary is a is a kind of space of play with certain rules, certain parameters about what you can use, um, you know, like what's locally available. Um, I wanted to, we are kind of try to wrap up, but. Um, I wanted to ask, you write your last, the last sentence of your conclusion is um, the next food wave, whatever it will be, will come from the outside again. Uh, as an island, we're pitched for the next great food revolution. What, what do you, what is, what's coming? Why is it coming from the outside? And what do you anticipate Ireland's role to be in that revolution? Yeah, I think I suppose it's 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 a difficult one to. Uh, so I don't know why I to, sound like a PhD examiner right now. But <laughs> no, like, JP, you're doing you're very well. <laughs> in your in your last <laughs> sentence, you claimed. No, no, no. But through my uh, through my paces. But I no, I don't no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm, I, just, I think also it's just like I I really wanted to be specific because you seem to have put so much care and in, into the language and into you know the specificity of your account. So I'm I'm trying to do your book justice. Anyway. Yeah. No. No. One hundred percent. Like I, I think <laughs> it can it can go it can go either it can go either way. And I think that the 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 I suppose the examination on on Irish food at the moment and 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 how it has grown um, to to the to I suppose what we what we started in the near ten years ago as as a project to now the likes of say I'm sure getting two stars straight away from for using Irish food. Like that that's a that's a massive development to to in my mind. And that's and that's just one aspect of where Irish food could go. It could keep on climbing in this terroir driven way to get three stars and fifty best and like and, and celebrated and, and that's and that's just one aspect and it's important to, to emphasize that. Because the other aspect is 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 um it's all the other food that gets cooked in Ireland by the very different people that live here, like Polish people and Brazilian people and Japanese people, and and we have to take take 
that uh, stock into that, uh, take that uh, into account as well, and how that will drive food. Because we we don't know, like in the same way we didn't know a lot of Polish people were going to come here in the early 2000s, and they live here now, and they have changed our food culture to a certain degree with, I think you have a lot more interest in pickling and fermentation, which the Polish take as, like, as just, like another just thing that they do. But for us, that was certainly a tradition that we had lost. I think the the Brazilian influence in Ireland is uh, is still is still gaining momentum, and we have a lot of uh, we have uh, some Brazilian chefs with us now as well, and they live here and they cook Brazilian food, and then also um, the the Japanese, which is something I'm so interested in, like the the way Japanese the Japanese treat fish and seaweed, and for me that 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 idea of learning from the outside. I mean, I still have not gone well, to I think, Japan. I think, for instance, Takashi, for me, is actually an Irish chef rather than a Japanese chef. Because I mean, you're referring I, I, to Takashi Miyazaki. I would, I would agree it's with you completely. Irish. And I, I, would, I would say it's almost like lost in translation. Like, you cannot, you cannot recreate a food outside its environment and then call it itself like i like in the same way when we call, when we do cava i never said i was trying to replicate spanish food it's it's a taste of spain in in ireland and because it, it things get translated because you don't have the same base so uh, miyazaki is 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 giving his take on japanese food like kayazaki but true irish uh, products and, and that that is going to affect the way we think about about Irish food, and I think there's so much more to learn um, from the likes of uh, Japan, particularly in relation to seaweed. I think we're at we're we're literally just only beginning to understand like this 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 phenomenal uh, product we have in the sea, and and we really aren't even even actually uh, um, uh, I suppose selling it yet in in the way that we should be. When you look at the way the Japanese. That Japanese treat it like gold. They're being treated treat like saffron. And we literally put it all in the bag and we, we sell it. Or like, I mean, of course, there is, there is some TV producers who are, who are marketing it better than others. But there, there, I, there has to be, I think, um, better attention to it. And shellfish as well, which are for me, when we think about the environment and we think about carbon and we think about farming, shellfish farming and seaweed farming is one of those types of farming that can be done that can actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere. And, and that's something that we should be paying attention to because we have a country full of cows and we have too many cows and we're putting all our eggs into the one basket at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think your cookbook does something that all really good cookbooks do, having just looked through it, is it, it does make me want to cook from it and it makes me want to try some new things. Um, and, you know, we've talked about we've talked about how to how to cook in a more locavore way, which is often really difficult in Ireland and, and things like... Um, you know, thickening th- these sort of ancient techniques, like th- um, making uh, like the use. There's a lot of cider in your mm. book. A lot of there was a lot of apple vinegar in places I wouldn't have used it. Like um, in finishing a sauce, um, yes. you thicken soups and things with oats. There's yes, a really interesting was, use of oats, me, the oats and porridge and stuff like that. That for me was super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like oats, the eel porridge. Yeah, the eel porridge. The eel totally. Porridge. Yeah, um, savory oats and things like that. So, I mean, I feel like my mind's been expanded, and it's a really ambitious book, and it makes makes me want to be more ambitious in the kitchen. So, so well yeah, done. Well, look, I mean, it's there to inspire, and like if, if, if more people cook and. People appreciate the products of Ireland. Then, look, I think um, I'll, and I'll, I'll have done my job. And I also think it's again, it's it's a book uh, at the beginning rather than an end. It's like I hope each yeah. section just touches on things. Even when you say the eel, I mean eel is something that has been in Ireland thousands of years. 
We, we use it. Most of the eel in Ireland is exported. We, we don't eat a lot of it. So even in that one respect, if, if someone else starts using eel now and, and buying eel and you can, you can buy it online from Loch Day. And so I was at that website this morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I so mean, even, I'm not going to cook out of that book every night. I got to say, I don't know how the fuck to get sea purslane and I'm not going to do let's it. Stoke, let's, stoke, let's, let's stoke our turf fires tonight, yeah, Julia, see, and I, smoke I, some butter. I think if I cooked a chicken in mud, I would be fired by my family. But like like yeah. I said, there's still, there's an, as, where, you, where the actual practical implications or um, applications of it in your in your in your kitchen and the imaginary kind of begins I, I still think that's exciting um, yeah, I have- there, was, there was one there was one that didn't make it in uh, I, was, I was cooking the salmon on your floor with the, the ashes <laughs> of the fire and I was just like you wouldn't you're not gonna do that in your sitting room but like just dig out your whole fireplace and then cook the salmon on the on the ashes and I was like okay that's not gonna make it in um, <laughs> <laughs> JP, I wanted to say that I'm really I'm gonna try all your pickled uh, elderflower and pickled samphire. Oh, brilliant! And the brilliant. only thing that I was interested in is where can I get hay to do the hay smoked oysters? Hay smoked oysters. Are you gonna start every category? Yeah. You have a hay smoking can, technique. Yeah, you can buy hay in the pet shop. And Hilarious! Hilarious! Yeah. Oh my god! You're I gonna go. Can I? Where's your I, guinea pig section? <laughs> <laughs> I'm cooking yeah. tonight. <laughs> I, I, they, I, the same joke every time I go in to buy hay from them. And he goes, what are you doing? I'm going, I'm cooking with it. Um, <laughs> and we do the hay smoke mackerel. And yeah, um, I, I remember someone asked me the question, a journalist, they thought I was going to give them this romantic story about like going through the farm. And I said, no, the pet shop. Um, That's hilarious. And, Very yeah, practical. So. Yeah, well, at least there's a, well, at least there's a reliable source on that one. Yeah. Like, I don't for a lot of the seaweed stuff. I'm like, what do I do? Like, walk into the sea with my mouth open? Like, I don't know how to get half this stuff. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, there's yeah. like the wild sea herbs. But I mean, again, I'm seduced by it. I want to try it. I, if I see them anywhere, I'll buy them. So, uh, Irish Brilliant. entrepreneurs out there who are listening, go put it on the shelves. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's definitely a market for hay and more seaweeds. If there's any entrepreneurs out there. And, <laughs> Seaweed, um, seaweed yeah. potato crisp, maybe. Seaweed potato crisp. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and then you get the the health aspects is just like secondary. I mean, of course, that's massive, but you've got all this flavor. But then you you can you can sell it either way. So there's so much that we can that we can do. You know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, giving us your time, and yeah, congratulations again on a gorgeous book. Congratulations. An pleasure. And thank enjoy. you. Enjoy. What did you guys think about uh, the conversation with J.P. McMahon? It was very interesting. I think he's a very cerebral man, very um, literary. And I think this book will probably become one of the classic books of Irish cuisine. I'll be curious to see how many people cook from the book versus read it, like peruse it. Um, and whether that there's going to be a divide with that. Like I just because when I was reading it, it was like, oh, again, it's something that sort of stokes my imagination, but I'm not necessarily going to run out and get, hey, although now I know where to buy it. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like I always I don't know why I just assumed that. Um, well, actually, I probably shouldn't say that because it makes me sound really ignorant. But um, like I had no idea that Ireland had such a literary tradition of cookbooks that, you know, that he's not entering a field with no competition, put it that way, that there's actually a real history of, um, of well-used and well-loved Irish cookbooks. So he's, maybe that's why it was such an ambitious project, right? When he I, had to do something kind of definitive, definitive and different. One of my very favorite Irish cookbooks that I don't think got mentioned was actually Darina Allen's Forgotten Recipes. Has anyone mm. read this? It's like I've seven. It, yeah. It's really amazing. It's no. 700 recipes. And she's basically, it's, you know, 
that she has sort of fished out from the past and it goes into foraging and it goes yeah. and then also it's very Dorina so there's this chapter on table manners because table <laughs> manners is again a forgotten skill um, so it's it's fantastic we'll book. have to have an episode on Dorina yeah. Allen at some point but in any event we are down the line definitely going to have another episode on cookbooks and we'll talk more about about Irish cookbooks but um, for now if you've enjoyed the podcast uh, tell your friends about it word of mouth is great uh, like us subscribe to us and um, as you can hear squealing in the background, I have a baby to feed. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, all right, great. Uh, join us next time. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.